Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler, and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, I hope that you do. Open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there are some hardback black Bibles under the chair in front of you. If you're using one of those, it's page 979 is where we're going to be hanging out today. We are in our second to last week in our series in the book of Ephesians. When we get done, we'll have spent 14 weeks working through this book. But as we began this series, in the very first week that we were in Ephesians, I told you that the book of Ephesians is teaching us that our identity in Christ determines how we live. And that's what we've been seeing as we've worked through this book. We spent six weeks in the first half of this book, and and as we were looking at the first half of this book, what we were looking at is our identity in Christ. And as we did that, we saw a whole lot about who we are because of that. We saw that we are recipients of grace. God has poured out his grace on us, and we've seen that we are dependent on Christ. We need and we receive the power of God in our lives in order to live for him every single day. We've seen that we're raised to live for him, that God saved us with a purpose. He had a plan in mind for us to be his hands, his feet in the world. We've seen that as a church, we've been united together in Christ, that God has destroyed what separates us in order to unite us together to live for him. We have a unity and an identity that we find in our identity in Christ. And we've seen that we're here to share the good news that we've received in him. That when God saves us, part of our identity is to be his instruments, to share his gospel with a world that needs to hear it. That's who we are. That's what we saw in the first half of this book. But then we moved into the second half of the book. And as as we've seen that, we've seen how we live it out. We've seen that we live together. We pursue Christ together. I keep telling you guys over and over again that being a Christian is not a solo sport. We need one another. So we live together. And we've seen that we live in a new life. That Christ has raised us from death to life in order to live for him, to walk worthy of the calling that we have received. And and so we have this new life. And, And because of that, we live every day as authentic Christians. We're the same person here at church on Sunday that we are this afternoon, that we are throughout the week when we go into our neighborhoods and our communities and our schools and wherever we're going, we're authentic Christians. And then last week, we saw that our identity in Christ, it actually shapes our families. Our faith in Christ shapes how our families live and love. What we've been seeing throughout the second half of this book is what we saw in our very first week in this book that our identity in Christ determines how we live. And as we move further into chapter six today, we're going to see that truth even invades our vocational lives. So as you look at the next five verses in chapter six with me, the main idea of what we're going to see here is that our identity in Christ shapes how we work and lead. That's the main idea of what we're looking at in the text today. Our identity in Christ shapes how we work and lead. Every single one of us has a vocation. 
You may be a doctor or a nurse, a teacher or a small business owner. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad or, or a student in school. Maybe you're a landscaper or a mechanic or a police officer or a firefighter or a salesman. It, it doesn't really matter. Every single one of us has a vocation. And we're called to follow Jesus in our vocation. We're called to live our faith out in our vocation. And what we're seeing here today is that our identity in Christ shapes how we do that. It shapes how we live in that vocation. What we're seeing is our identity in Christ shapes how we work and lead. So that's our main idea for the day. Let's just dive right in. We're going to look at five verses. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. Paul says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at this text today, I ask that you would speak to us, that we would begin to recognize that what you've done for us, it impacts every area of our life, including how we live in our jobs, how we work, how we lead. God, speak, let us, let us hear from you and let what we hear shape how we move forward today, tomorrow, and in the weeks and months ahead. Help us to be the kind of workers, the kind of leaders you've called us to be. Help us to radiate Christ in every aspect of our lives, including our vocations. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. For those of you that know me well, you know that my favorite TV show of all time is The Office. I love that TV show. Not everybody does, but I do. Uh, in fact, if you were to go over to my office and just look around, there are a couple of hints that that's my favorite show. You got to look, but they're, they're there. I love that TV show. I've probably watched that series. This is not an exaggeration. I've probably watched that series all the way through 15 or 20 times. I've just got it on constant repeat. I love that show. It just never seems to get old. But just in case you've been living under a rock and you don't know what The Office is, um, this is a TV show that revolves around a fictional uh, paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania called Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. The show was one of the first mockumentaries ever made. It's a scripted comedy series, but it's filmed as if it's a documentary. And it's hilarious. Cringeworthy at times, but hilarious. It's arguably one of the most popular TV shows ever made. It is the most popular streaming show. So like for TV shows that you stream on, on the internet, it's the most popular by a long way. Um, and, and the reason that I think it's so popular is that it is so relatable. Every, everyone can see themselves or, or people that they know in the characters of that show. I mean, think about it. If you've been in the work, workforce for more than a couple of years, 
Odds are fairly good that you've worked for a boss like Michael Scott or Jan Levinson Gould or David Wallace. Odds are fairly good that you know someone that takes their job way too seriously like Dwight Schrute or not seriously enough like Jim Halpert. You've probably met the obnoxious buzzkill HR rep like Toby Flenderson. You know someone who, who does their job, and, but they do it and they're, they're really vain and self-important like Ryan Howard. You know the receptionist that's very quiet, and, quiet and, and maybe a little wallflowery like Pam Beasley or that uptight accountant like Angela Martin. Like all of the different characters of the office, they're relatable. The office is so popular, I think, because we see ourselves or people we know in the characters of the show. Now, now I will caveat that they are exaggerated characters. Like, nobody is quite as bad as Michael Scott. But they're relatable nonetheless. And the reason that they're so relatable is that our work is so completely intertwined into our lives. Everyone works at one level or another. Everyone has some sort of job, some sort of vocation, and it's that commonality that is also the reason why when we see our Bibles start talking to us about how we work, it shouldn't surprise us. That's what we're seeing here in this text, by the way. It's talking to us about our jobs. These five verses right here in Ephesians chapter 6, they are showing us that our identity in Christ shapes how we work and lead, and I want you to see that today. Now, as we dive into this text, I know that that the fact that Paul is addressing slaves and masters right here, for for some of us, that could be a little bit distracting. It can create a little bit of um, disorientation in us just because of our own familiarity with Americans' institution of slavery that, that we have, our own history. And while I don't have time to go into all of the differences um, between what American slavery was like and what first century Roman slavery was like, um, I actually did that uh, about a year ago in September. It was a sermon in First Timothy called Final Thoughts Part 1. You can listen to that on any of your favorite podcasts or on our YouTube channel. Um, but while I don't have time to go into all the details, I, I do want to take just a moment to point out that slavery in first century Rome and the American institution of slavery were vastly different. It was very, very different. And that the New Testament makes it very clear that the divisions created by status of being slave or free, those divisions have been completely broken down in this new life that we find in Christ. And that the Apostle Paul clearly saw the advantages of being free rather than being a slave. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 21 and 22, he told slaves who had the opportunity to gain their freedom that they should take advantage of that. But he also pointed out in that same passage that if there wasn't the opportunity, he, he told them, don't be concerned about it. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Now, all of this is important to know, but, but I don't want you to allow the fact that Paul is talking to slaves and masters to cause you to miss the truth that this is conveying for us today. Because the truth is, this, this passage isn't really about the institution of slavery as much as it is our attitudes as we are in our jobs, as we are working, or as we are leading. 
So for us today, as we look at this text where we read that word bondservant or slave, depending on the translation you're using, you can very rightly read employee or worker. And where we read master, you can safely read employer or manager or boss or supervisor. I want you to keep that in mind as we're looking at this text here today. But as we're looking at these these verses, I told you that they're showing us that our identity in Christ shapes how we work and lead. And so Paul begins there in verse 5, and he begins by showing us that Christians work for Jesus. It's the first thing I want you to notice right out of this text. Christians work for Jesus. Take a look, starting at verse 5. He says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Now, in my Wednesday night Bible study just this last week, we were talking about the importance of recognizing repetition in the Bible. Whenever you encounter repetition in the Bible, it should grab your attention because the author is keying you in on something that you need to take note of. Now, parents, we know this intuitively, right? Like, because we've lived it. Like, think back when your kids were young. When your kids wanted to get your attention, what did they do? Hey, dad, 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 dad. Why did they do that? It wasn't just because they didn't have any manners, although I will argue they, they need to work on that, right? It's because it worked. They they repeat themselves enough and it grabs our attention. Repetition grabs our attention. And what we're seeing here is repetition at work. Four times in these four verses, Paul is pointing us as workers to Jesus. And we should notice that. So there in verse five, he says, we obey our masters as we would obey Jesus. In verse 6, he points out that we serve as bondservants of Jesus. In verse 7, we render service with a good will as to Jesus. And then in verse 8, he says that we will receive back whatever good we do from Jesus. Four times in four verses, Paul is pointing us to Jesus. And as workers in the workforce, we should get our attention focused on that. Paul is trying to make clear that the attitude we have as we work is an attitude that says, I'm not working for my employer. I'm not working for my manager. I'm working for Jesus. That's what he's pointing us to right here. But as we recognize that, that leads us to ask the question, well, well, what does that kind of an attitude look like? What does an attitude that recognizes I'm not working for my employer, I'm working for Jesus look like? Thank you for asking. Great question. The answer is interwoven into our text right here. So look at these verses one more time. Verse five, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now, the first thing I'd like you to recognize as we're looking at this command right here is that this is not a terror-based fear that Paul is talking about here. That phrase, fear and trembling, is an expression that is used throughout our Bibles to talk about the kind of awe and respect that you would show toward God. And Paul's taking that and saying, hey, apply this to the person you work for. 
have an attitude of reverence and awe. In fact, that word that's translated fear in, in the Greek phobos is the same word that's translated as reverence back in chapter 5, verse 21. We saw that a couple weeks ago. This is a command to obey with reverence, with respect. But this kind of respect isn't just lip service. It's, it's supposed to be genuine. Keep reading. He says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. We show the same kind of respect to those we work for that we would show to Jesus himself. So Paul gives us that, but then he actually expands on it further. So keep reading. Verse 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. We show genuine respect for those we work for. The same kind of respect that we would show to Jesus himself, but we're not just doing it to look good. You see that right there. We don't just do it to get the management's attention, just to earn the promotion. We don't just do it to keep our boss happy. Now, we've, we've all worked for, with or somebody like this, right? You know, that I service people pleaser that Paul's talking about. That, that backstabber who'll do anything and everything to just climb the ladder. In the early seasons of the TV show, The Office, that character was Andy Bernard. Y'all who've watched the show, you know Andy. Remember how obnoxious he was in like seasons three and four? He was, I'm the only one that watches The Office in here, I guess. Anyway, he was bad, right? He would do anything and everything to try and get in good with his manager, Michael Scott. He, he would agree with everything Michael said to the point where it started annoying Michael, he would talk bad and, and stab his fellow employees in the back just to try and get in good with Michael to earn a, a better position in Michael's eyes. And, and as you watch the show and you see him doing this, you start to find yourself really, really not liking Andy Bernard. Why is that? Why can't you stand this guy? Because he's not genuine. He's not real. Listen, as Christians in the workforce, we're not supposed to be Andes. As Christians, because of the work that Christ has done in our lives, we live and work differently. As Christians, we're called to be genuine. We're the same person. Doesn't matter if we're in front of the boss or not. We show respect, we work hard, and we don't do it to impress the boss. We do it because we belong to Jesus. We do it because we are bond servants of Jesus. We do it because we're serving Jesus. Even in our jobs. As Christians, we're called to be the best workers in our companies, in our schools, in our organizations. We strive to be the very best that we can be. And the reason for that is that we belong to Jesus. We're his slaves. We're serving him. That's what Paul is telling us here. And as we move into Verse 7, we see a little bit more of that. Take a look. He says, rendering service. We serve, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not man. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian and you're at work, you're still a follower of Jesus. You recognize that, right? If you're a follower of Jesus and you're at work, you're still a follower of Jesus. It doesn't change just because you've left your house and gone to your place of business. It's the same. And that means that you're going to work hard. 
You're going to do a good job. You're going to serve with a good will, not because you want to make your boss happy, not because you want to raise, not because you like your boss. You're doing it because in everything you do, you're serving Christ. You're representing Jesus. Our work, our jobs, they are part of how we worship the Lord. And so we want to worship faithfully in our jobs. So whether you think so or not, as you're thinking about that, know the world is watching you. Like people see what you do. And so as we work in our jobs, if we're working for Jesus himself, people ought to notice that. People ought to see Jesus in us because Christians work for Jesus. Your vocation, where you're at, it's not an accident. God puts you there on purpose to serve him. God has placed you where you are in your job to represent him. So you live out your faith in your job. But there's a risk in this. You see, you can go and do your job and work hard the way that we're being called to here in these verses and not get the reward. You may work hard and show respect and be the model employee and your boss is still a jerk. What do we do with that? We continue to serve the Lord. That's what we do with that. Because we know the truth of verse eight right there. Take a look. We serve like we're serving Jesus, regardless of whether we like our job, regardless of whether we like our boss, regardless of whether we are rewarded for our good good service, because we know that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. We serve faithfully and well because our hope isn't in present rewards. Our hope isn't in getting that preferred shift that we really want to be scheduled on. Our hope isn't that we get the raise or get the promotion. Our hope is in the reward that we're going to get from Jesus because that's who we're ultimately serving. So Paul is showing us here that Christians work for Jesus. And that leads us to pause and and ask the question really quick, like, am I doing that? Am I living my life as if I don't work for my employer, but I work for Jesus? Do I represent Jesus when I go to work each day? Can my employer or my coworkers, students in the room, can your teachers and your classmates see Jesus in you? Christian, you are called to work for Jesus. It's part of following Christ. God has placed you in your vocation. Whether you're that doctor or that nurse, that teacher, small business owner, student, stay-at-home parent, doesn't matter, landscaper, mechanic, police officer, firefighter, salesman, wherever he has put you, he has put you there. That's your vocation. God has put you there in order to serve and represent him. So you have to ask yourself, am I doing that? Am I living this out? Do I live knowing that in everything, Christians work for Jesus? I work for Jesus. You don't have to answer me on that, but answer yourself and answer honestly. Christians work for Jesus. That's what Paul is showing us here. But the beauty of this is that Paul doesn't just talk to the slaves. He doesn't just talk to the workers. He also talks to their masters. 
He also talks to the employers or the managers or the bosses, whatever word you want to put in right there, the leaders. And as he does, he reminds them that Christians lead like Jesus. Take a look at verse 9. Paul writes, Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Now, you need to recognize the command that Paul is giving right here. This is radical. He's, he's telling masters, and again, in our context, think leaders, managers, bosses, employers, whatever word you want to put there. He's, he's telling them, do the same to them. Paul is pointing out that leaders, to these leaders, that they need to have the same kind of attitude about their leadership that he just told the workers they should have about their service. Slaves were instructed to remember that they're working for Jesus. And in the same way, if you're an employer, if you're a manager, if you're a boss, you fill that role. You lead for Jesus. That's what we're seeing right here which means that you lead in a way that Jesus led. You lead with respect and kindness and patience and grace and love. You seek to represent Jesus. You want people who work for you to see Jesus in you. That's what Paul is saying right here. And because that's true, that also means that you don't abuse your authority. That's what he's getting at when he tells them, stop your threatening. You see, positions of leadership, they come with authority. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, when you're in a position of leadership, you are given authority. And unfortunately, the temptation for us is to abuse that authority. Often that temptation is actually an expectation. You're expected to use that authority and maybe step over the line. That was definitely the case in first century Rome, where a master was expected to to threaten and and abuse his workers in order to keep them in line. But what Paul is pointing out here is that that's not the way that Christian leaders lead. Christian leaders should lead in such a way that it makes it easy for those who are working for them to work with goodwill. That's what Paul is trying to help us see. They exercise their authority in a way that shows that they too are servants of Christ which is the next thing Paul reminds them there in the middle of verse 9, by the way. Look at, the ni- look at verse 9 again. He says, Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. You see, the reality is everybody works for somebody. Right? We, we know this is true. When I was a squadron department head in VFA 41, I had about 50 sailors and officers working for me, and I was their boss. Like, I controlled when they showed up in the morning, when they went home. I signed their leave paperwork. I I did their fit reps. They worked for me. But I worked for the commanding officer. The commanding officer had about 350 sailors and officers working for him, but he had a boss. He worked for CAG. CAG is the air wing commander, and CAG had about... 1,500 or so sailors and officers working for him, but even CAG had a boss. CAG worked for the strike group commander, the admiral, and the admiral had about 10,000 sailors and officers working for him, and and up and up the chain it goes. Everybody in this day and age, we, we recognize everybody's got a boss. Everybody works for somebody. CEOs work for the board and the shareholders. 
Even the president of the United States works for the voters, right? Like if we don't like what he's doing, in theory, we elect him out of office, right? Everybody works for somebody. But what we're seeing here is that if you're a Christian leader, whether you're a shift manager at Chick-fil-A or the president of the United States, you have an ultimate boss. You have an ultimate authority that you work for, an ultimate master, and his name is Jesus. And we're called to lead like he led. And we need to remember that. When we lead, our people ought to see Jesus in us. When we make decisions, our people ought to see Jesus shining through them as we lead. We lead justly. We lead fairly. Because we have a master in heaven, Jesus. And we want to serve him well. By the way, when it says that there is no partiality with him there at the end of verse 9, you know what that means, right? it means that Jesus isn't impressed by by your job, right? It means Jesus isn't impressed with how high the ladder you climb. He doesn't care. He isn't impressed by the fact that you built this awesome business. He's not impressed that you earned the next promotion. He's not impressed that your team met its quarterly goals. That doesn't impress Jesus at all. What impresses Jesus is faithfulness to him. And part of being faithful to him means that we serve and we lead like we're serving Jesus. We follow his method of leadership. And so again, as we're thinking about this, I want you to take a moment and ask yourself, am I doing that? Do I lead the way Jesus led? Do my employees or my subordinates, do they see Jesus in me? Christian, you're called to lead like Jesus. That's what we're seeing right here. God has given you this authority for a reason. Are you using it for his glory? Are you leading the way he's called you to? Because what we're seeing here is that Christians lead like Jesus. Now, these Five verses here in the middle of Ephesians chapter 6 are are verses that it would be really easy to just quickly pass over. We see Paul addressing slaves and masters, and it would be really easy to say, you know what, that's an institution that doesn't exist anymore, so this doesn't really apply to me anymore, and and just skip on past it, move on to the armor of God that we're going to see next week. But we know that the whole counsel of Scripture is for us. We know that God's word is alive and active and that it speaks into our lives. And and I hope you're beginning to see that this is speaking into our situation today. What we're seeing right here in these five verses is a reminder that our identity in Christ, it shapes how we work and how we lead. We work for Jesus and we lead for Jesus. So let me encourage you today in whatever vocation you're in, whether you're a student in school or a stay-at-home parent or working out in the workforce somewhere. Whatever your vocation is, work and lead for Jesus. Radiate Jesus. Let people see him in you as you go to your job, as you go to school. Let them see Christ in you because our identity in Christ, it shapes how we work and lead. What Jesus has done for us, it overflows into every aspect of our lives, including our vocation. That's what we're seeing right here today. 
So let's live that out. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.